listening to New Life Church in Richmond Hill, Georgia. Good to see you this morning. Um, if you got your Bible, we're going to go to we're going to go a lot of places today. I'll just go ahead and let you know. Uh, John, First John, First Corinthians, Matthew, back to John, Genesis. So there's a lot of places that that we're going to go. Um, but, uh, so it's just keep your Bible handy, uh, maybe split it up as you kind of go down the row, everybody open up to a different verse. Now, how many of you guys, um, you have played video games, played video games? Uh, how many of you guys, you still play video games? Okay. You have a gaming console in your house. How many of you have been told you're too old to play a video game? Okay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, we're on the same page. So there was a guy by the name of Blake Harris. He wrote a book called Console Wars. And uh, in his book, Mr. Harris outlines the competition uh, between Nintendo and Sega, uh, the Sega company. Uh, in 1990, Sega, uh, not Sega, Nintendo, uh, the video game industry was about a $3 billion a year industry in 1990. And Nintendo... Uh, basically owned about 90% of that. So they they were the big dogs on the block, right? And uh, their big game, how many knows what their big game is? Mario, that's right. But uh, along came Sega, and they wanted to get in on the action. And so they created a game called Sonic the Hedgehog. There you go. And it became a big competition between Mario and Sonic. And uh, we still see there are still big deals today. Uh, and basically what Sega did was they began to copy uh, this format of what Nintendo was doing. And by 2016, uh, 2016 Sega uh, had made about three, uh, $3.12 billion dollars to Nintendo's four and a half billion dollars. And uh, so this competition, basically what Sega did was they just copied Nintendo and they tweaked it in such a way where they were able to make a lot of money as well. Now, how many of you ever heard, um, you know what, nobody likes a copycat? Come on, you know, right? Anybody ever, you ever had like a little sister or little brother and they, stop copying me. Stop copying me. You know, they'll just parrot with the back, you know. It's kind of like the song we sang earlier where Raina would sing a verse and we would sing a verse. You know, we're just kind of copying what she's doing. Um, and so nobody likes a copycat. At least that's what we have been told. Uh, we've heard it said, you were born an original, don't die a... Oh, nobody knows that. <laughs> wow. You... All right, well, I'm about to blow your mind. <laughs> you were born an original, don't die a copy. Right? You were born an original, don't die a copy. Guys, I should know that. All right? It really should be. You should know that one. Um, <clears throat> so we've heard it said that nobody likes a copycat. Um, and I get it. You know, little, little brothers, little sisters, they can be annoying because I am one. I am a little brother to two older sisters, and uh, I had annoyed them immensely, especially my middle sister, my youngest sister. She, uh, she uh, was in the house longer with me, and so, man, she could not wait to get out of the house uh, to, to leave my presence because I was just a pain to her up till I was about seven years old, and then she moved away, and it became my house, just all of mine. 
Uh, <clears throat> I was the last one in the house at seven. Uh, and that's probably what's wrong with me right now. Uh, but no, we've always we've heard it said that nobody likes a copycat. Nobody likes someone who wants to parrot them. And um, but I don't know that that is really the case. I submit to you today that Jesus loves a copycat. Uh, I want to I I submit that to you today, that Jesus loves a copycat. Jesus loves one that would look at him and say, I want to be like you. And, and I think you would understand that. I think you get that. Um, and I want us to look at that today. We're starting a new series of messages uh, called The Fine Print. And basically what it just says here is following Jesus into the details, right? What's the fine print? That's the stuff that we never read, right? How many of you have, have ever bought a house? Have you read all the words that's in that contract? You probably should, right? You know, but that's why we, we, we get lawyers and we have real estate agents. We have a lot of those real estate agents. And when we trust you guys to make sure there's nothing in there that we're giving away, our cat or, you know, our, our first child or anything like that. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we trust a lot of people uh, with the details. And when it comes to following Jesus, I think I look at it like this. I think we're really good with the headlines. We love the big stuff about Jesus and the easy stuff about Jesus, and we love the grace of God. Anybody? I mean, Jesus is what makes grace amazing, right? When we sing that song, Amazing Grace, that's why we sing it, because Jesus made it so amazing, right? When we look at Jesus and we look at the grace that he has and that he gives away and that he invites us into, it's very attractive. Uh, when, when you give grace away, that is attractive to people. And that's why Jesus uh, attracted people to him, because he was one that gave grace away. And so it's, it's not rocket science that we would look at this and say, man, that's why People were drawn to Jesus. That's why people, people loved being around Jesus because Jesus gave away grace. And he was a graceful person. And, but, see, there's this idea, though, that goes beyond that. And it's not that we ever get rid of grace. And it's not that we ever stop needing grace. Right? Because we're never going to stop needing grace. I need grace every day. I need, I need grace today. I need the grace of God right now, and I've been following Jesus for a long time, and I have been trying to reflect Jesus in my life a very long time, but I need his grace today as much as I've ever needed it. And so, so we look at this, and, and it's kind of like grace is the big headline thing, and we come, we come at that starting point, and it's kind of like the, 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 the starting line with God, this, this point of grace. But... There are things that he wants to lead us into. And see, that's what we believe around here um, as a church. When, and you hear us say that all the time. You hear us when uh, Taylor and, um, you know, Bella get up and they do these videos. It's like we exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, this is something that we believe. And we want to engage them in the life and mission of the church. And, and so it's not just about the headlines of grace. It's also about growing in this relationship with Jesus. What is that? And I believe that's following Jesus into the details. What is the detail of this growth? What is the detail of this maturity? What does that look like? Because we can just try to live a very surface level with Jesus, but he's inviting us to go deeper. He's inviting us into the details and so that's really kind of what i want us to talk about 
And starting with, with Sega and Nintendo uh, being the copycat, uh, that's kind of where we have to start. We have to start at this place where Jesus invites us to be a copy of him. Jesus invites us to, to be the copycat, to, to be the, uh, the repeat, to be the echo, to be that reflection of him. And, and so um, let's look at a few scriptures. I want us to look at John chapter 13, first off. John chapter 13. I'm just going to read them off the screen if, you'll, if I can just follow you because um, that will save me a lot of flipping. But John chapter 13, it says this. It says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. That sounds like a copycat situation, right? That sounds like Jesus saying, I want you to do what I am doing. I want you to love how I am loving. I want you to live how I am living. I want you to act how I am acting. I want you to serve the Father how I am serving the Father. This is what that looks like. And he, he, he just says this. He says, this is a new commandment I give you. Love as I have loved. Reflect this thing. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 6. And this is what John recounts. He says, what a, uh, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He says, listen, if you say that you uh, belong to Christ and you say that you are a, a Christ follower, then you've got to walk the way he walks or else you're not following, right? Uh, you're, 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 you're going off on your own path. Uh, we also find in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is what Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so there's a lot of copying that is happening here in the Bible, right? I know you got in trouble for copying in school, right? Don't copy off of somebody else's paper. You know, they're just kind of looking. You remember that kid? You know, you're trying to copy off his paper. And he was, you were probably that kid everybody was trying to copy out. You're so smart, you know. Uh, I get it. But Paul says this. He says, be imitators of me. He says, as I am of Christ. As I imitate Jesus, be an imitator of me. That this is a copycat situation. And... And this is really kind of when we begin to look at discipleship. That's kind of what discipleship is. Discipleship, if you break it down to its most basic form, is this, is that we begin to copy. We begin to copy our master. We begin to look like the one who is discipling us. We begin to look like and reflect the one who has created us. Matthew chapter 4. We can go to Matthew chapter 4. I am going to read this one to you, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, and I'm going to start in verse 18. And it says, And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, whose brother, uh, his brother was casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What does that even mean? That sounds crazy, right? I mean, who does that? I mean, outside, I know that you've been in Sunday school a lot, and you've probably been in church a lot, and you've heard this a lot. But just think, if this was the first time you've ever heard this, somebody looked at you and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, you would think, that sounds weird. You know, I don't know about this dude, uh, and, and I'm not sure that I should follow him. But something about him was attractive to them that, uh, that they began to look and said, I want to hear more of, of what this man's talking about. And he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, if I was Zebedee sitting in the boat 
and my boys just jumped out of the boat, left me doing all the work, I'd be like, what's going on? Right? Anybody? But that happens all the time, right? Come on, if you're a parent, anybody ever had your kids, like, bail out on you from doing stuff? Come on. Let me hear the parents say amen. There you go. I knew they had some parents here. You know? And so, so Jesus, he is meeting people, and he is this gracious person that has this attractive personality. Not just an attractive personality. He is giving something away that people aren't getting. He is giving away grace. And people don't get a whole lot of grace. A lot of times people don't get grace these days, right? Isn't that what we want? We want to get grace from people, but how many times do we give it to people? You know? We love getting grace, but do we love giving it away? So that's who God is. God is the one who loves to give it away. God loves giving away the grace of God. He loves giving away his, his mercy and his invitation to come to be um, a, a disciple. And so what does that mean? What does this look like? Jesus calls disciples right here. This is where we find Jesus calling disciples. And, and, and what is a disciple? This is, um, you know, this this. This word disciple, um, you can see it. There's a couple different ways that it gets translated. Um, in the Greek, it is Matthias. Uh, it is in the Hebrew, Talmudim. Um, and those are the two words that get translated for disciples, which really, really means just someone who is a follower. Um, but really, Talmudim, which is with the Hebrew, it goes a lot farther than just being a follower. And, and a lot f- farther than just being one who is a learner. It is one who is willing to give their life to do exactly what this person is doing that is teaching them. A disciple means follower, but in a deeper sense, it means to fully identify with the master in every area of our life. Think about that. In every area of, of your life, are you willing to follow? See, there are some areas that, yes, we're absolutely willing to follow, but then there are other areas we're like, we might want to hold back. Actually, might want to keep it kind of close to us, keep it kind of undercover. I don't know if I'm willing to give that up yet. See, Jesus is not just looking for fans. He is looking for followers. He's looking for those who would come and say, I give you my whole heart. I give you my whole life, every bit, and there's nothing hidden. I want you in every part of my life and in my heart. And and for us, sometimes it's, it's not as easy to say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus is what I'm a fan of Jesus. There's a difference because there are plenty of fans of Jesus. You talk about Jesus and it's, oh, yeah, Jesus, I love Jesus, right? People love Jesus all over the place, right? Yeah, I'm good with the big man, yeah. You know, they call him all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and it's like, I love Jesus. But when you really start talking to him, do you really love Jesus? Do you love him enough to follow him in every aspect of your life? Because, see, that's the invitation. That's the invitation to where Jesus says, I don't want you just becoming a fan of me. I want you to become a follower of me. I want you to become a disciple. And what does that look like? What is that? It is more than just someone who waves a flag and says, we love you, Jesus. And we got the bracelet and we got the T-shirt and we got the cross around our necklace. And that's great. That sounds like a fan. Because when you get home and the game's over, you go put that stuff in the closet, right? I don't know, unless you're a big fan, then you might just wear it all week. Your team might have won yesterday like my team did. Just wanted to put that out there. 
But see, Jesus is wanting more than just fans. He is wanting followers. So what did this look like? What did this look like to be a uh, a Talmud of Jesus? What were disciple duties? Disciple duties were four things. First off, it required memorizing the words of the rabbi. You had to memorize the words of the rabbi. What the rabbi said, you had to memorize that. You had to make those your words. His words became your words. You also had to adopt the worldview of the rabbi. Uh, his worldview had to become your worldview. And so it's this crafting and this shaping and this molding, and it's almost like almost cutting out things that, that don't fit, those things that find no place. And he says you have to leave that behind, and there's other things you have to take in on yourself, and this is what it looks like. And so it's memorizing the words of the rabbi. It is adopting the worldview of the rabbi. It is imitating the practices there we go, that copycat, imitating the practices of the rabbi. This was, this was the duty of a disciple. When you became a Talmud, uh, you had to do these things. You had to memorize the words of the rabbi, adopt the worldview of the rabbi, imitate the practices of the rabbi, and you also had to do this. You had to commit to making disciples of their own in the way of the rabbi. That is, that is those four things kind of encompasses what it means to be a disciple these four things now what was the crazy thing when we read this in john chapter four the crazy thing about it is this is that these guys that jesus called weren't supposed to be called because they did not make it in the first cut anybody you you never you got cut from something right i remember getting cut from baseball man i was mad and they called me said well you know what we got a softball i ain't playing softball softball's for girls you know playing softball then later on it was like hey can i be on the softball team you know because i'd really like to play something you know <laughs> but uh, and then i got cut from the church softball team thanks coach you know no he didn't cut me he didn't cut me i just got old <laughs> i cut myself um the uh but this thing that about these guys is that they didn't make the cut um, they were not the ones chosen. And so how it worked was that if you were a, a student, if you were wanting to be a student of a rabbi, you had to go ask a rabbi, hey, can I be your student? And the rabbi would look at you and would ask some questions, do some vetting, and say, can you, you know, do you know portions of the Torah, you know, you know and try to, try to vet them. And, and they would say, yes, you can become my student. Or it's like, no, you can't become my student. And so these guys here that Jesus came to, they were the guys that got cut. They were the guys that got sent home and says, you need to go back to your father's house and learn a trade. And you need to raise kids, you need to build a home, and go live your life for, for God. And, and that was it. They had kind of lost their, their chance. So when Jesus comes and he says, hey, He's a rabbi, and he says, I want you to follow me, which was crazy because rabbis didn't do that. They didn't come up and just say, hey, I want you to follow me. You as a student had to go ask if you could become a student, actually. But Jesus comes and and flips it, flips the script and said, hey, you that got cut, you got rejected, I'm inviting you to be part of my team. I'm inviting you to be on my side. I'm inviting you to be part of my team. Talmudim. And, and why do you think they left? 
Actually, that makes a lot of sense when you hear it that way. That's why they would jump out of their father's boat and their father is saying, yes, boys, go. You're, you're, getting, a, you're getting a second shot. You're getting called up, right? This is, your, this is your second shot. Go. And jumping out of the boat, they went and followed the rabbi because it was something of a grace where everybody said, I don't want you. Jesus said, I do want you. Jesus said, I do want you on my team. And so what Jesus does is he extends grace to them. Not everyone got to follow a rabbi. Only the best got picked. A potential student would have to ask the rabbi, but Jesus went and he asked people to follow him. So when he said, come and follow me, that was why it was such a big deal. That was why it was such a big thing. See, we enter the relationship through grace. But we maintain the relationship through grace and reflection. See, we enter this relationship with Jesus through grace. Those guys did nothing to earn it. Those guys that Jesus went to when Jesus said, hey, come follow me, they didn't do anything. They had not been great at anything. They were just fishermen. And I think that's where Jesus, that's why, I think that's why Jesus said that. Come, I'll make you fishers of men because they're like, all we know is fishing. This is it. This is their life. He's like, well, I'm going to take what you know, and I'm going I'm to blow it up to where it's amazing. See, that's what Jesus does for us. He meets you where you're at, but he leads you to become who you need to become. That's what he invites us into. He says, I'm meeting you with grace. I'm inviting you with grace. I'm introducing this relationship with grace. So come. We enter the relationship through grace. But this, great, this, this relationship has to be maintained. We don't get done with grace. We still need that grace. But we also have to add reflection to it where we begin to reflect and copy our rabbi, when we begin to reflect and copy Jesus, when we begin to reflect and copy what that looks like. And so we enter the relationship through grace, but we maintain the relationship through grace and reflection. See, becoming a disciple of Jesus means more than just being a fan of Jesus. It's an invitation to become who you're truly meant to be. It's an invitation to become who God truly intended for you to be. My true identity is the reflection of the Imago Dei. What is that? The Imago Dei. What is that? This little Latin phrase, which means the image of God. That little Latin phrase, it means that you were created, you were shaped, you were formed to reflect God. You're built for this. You're made for this. This is the good stuff. Genesis 127. Can you put Genesis 127 up there? So God created in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. This is how you were made. This is how I was made. I was made to be the reflection of God. This is why creating idols is so messed up. When, when people in the Old Testament was making an idol and shaping an idol, you know what this word image really means? It's, it's the word selam. And, and in Hebrew, it means basically we're an image bearer. We become, we're, God made his own idol, us. That's us. And so when we make an idol, we're saying it's not good enough. What we're saying is I need something else. You're not enough for me, God, and so I need something else. I need something else for uh, my pleasure. I need something else for my sustenance. I need something else to be my source. I need something else to help me in my identity. But see, what God says is this. He says, that's not how you were first created. You were first created and shaped and formed, and life breathed into you 
with the purpose and plan of you reflecting the Father, of you reflecting the Imago Dei, the, this, this image of God. And so my true identity is the reflection of the image of God. John 14 and 8. Let's, let's go to John 14 and 8. John 14, I am going to read that out of here. John 14 and 8. And we find Philip. This is what Philip says. I, I love this. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Right? He said, it'll be enough. If Jesus, if you will just show us God, it'll be enough. And what did Jesus say? He says, if you'll show us the Father, it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Uh, the, the one who, who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. What is he going to do? A disciple is going to do what? He's going to copy me. A disciple is going to do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do. Whoa, wait, stop just a second. What did, what did he just say? Greater works than I do, you're going to do? <laughs> I don't believe that. Does anybody believe that? And maybe not in quality. Maybe in quantity we get a chance to reach more people. I don't know. But I, I love this, the fact that there's, there's this calling out of potential in us. He says, listen, it's in you. Stop believing the lies of everybody else. Stop believing the lies around you. Because I am going to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father, uh, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. I love this. I love this. I'm going to ask somebody to come play. We're going to end this out. Our true identity is to reflect the image of God. Our identity, our, our identity is not found in the world. It's not found by looking at our own desires. It's not found by looking inside of us. And I sometimes, anybody you ever seen that Snickers commercial? You know, it's like where you're not feeling yourself and you're like, they're like some other actor, you know, and once they eat the Snicker bar, that's like they become their true self again, right? It's like you're not you, you're not you uh, when you're hungry, right? And I, I kind of like that because when I get hangry, I'm like, I need, I need something, you know, and I'd love to have a Snicker bar. Uh, we just don't buy, buy those at my house. Uh, we should, though. It'd be a good thing. Raina. <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> she don't care. She don't care. Yeah. But see, the thing about it is all this stuff. All this stuff got wrecked in the fall. In the fall, way back in Genesis got wrecked. The image, everything got distorted, got messed up. And so for us, we've always been trying to reach back and trying to figure out who are we. This is it right here. This is who we are. This is who we are. This is the great thing. Jesus invites you to become who you truly can be. Jesus invites you to become who he truly knows you can be. He invites you to become his disciple. 
not just a fan, not just waving the flag, Woo, we love you, Jesus, you know, not just having the T-shirt and the bracelet, but going deeper and saying, my life looks like Jesus, my, my words sound like Jesus, my worldview encompasses the worldview of Jesus, I want to be like Jesus, my life is centered on Jesus. If there's anything else today, don't, I don't want you to get confused that here at New Life Church that we want you to be about religion. Religion, I have found, cannot do anything for us. And that's why we start and we remind ourselves every Sunday we exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus for me. It all comes back to Jesus for you. There's a lot of things that, that this world will try to sell us. It's truly found in Jesus. And I'm not here to push you into that. I am here to lead you into that. Because I am being led into that. Jesus doesn't shove anything down my throat. But what he does is he calls me out of the boat and he says, Hey, Ryan, come follow me. And what I look and I can see is that, man, I need to be like that. I, I need so much more of what Jesus is. Because Ryan can't save me. Ryan has fallen and failed, and he's going to fall. He's going to fail. He's, he's going to mess up. He's going to say something stupid. I need more Jesus. Every day. You've been listening to New Life Church in Richmond Hill, Georgia. For more information regarding New Life, please visit our website at newliferh.com.